Grace and peace. Thank you, Peter and David, for that uh, wonderful presentation. Uh, we try to keep a transparent environment here at Crossbridge as far as all our resources go and the vision that God has given us to steward. As a matter of fact, if uh, you're joining us today for the first time, we launched last Sunday our vision series. Every year, right around this time of the year, we talk about the purpose by which God has placed us here. And uh, we try to help you to understand what is your role in that big mission of God. You know, we're not just here uh, dispensing spiritual goods for everyone who comes like a drive-through. This, this is not at all. We are a people together on mission. And so if God has called you to Crossbridge, uh, we want you to move from a consumer to a provider, meaning we want you to be also a dispenser of spiritual goods to the people of our city and beyond. So last week we talked about uh, the fact that we are a gospel-centered church. Today we're going to talk about uh, this theme that has already been introduced to you, that we are a city-positive church. But before that, I need to set the record straight, and I'd like to share with you guys uh, what motivated Beth and I to move to Miami to start Crossbridge some 15 years ago, okay? Uh, we were living in um, my hometown of Hesife, and we were there for five years prior to that. We were in North Carolina, and we were challenged by uh, my mentor, Tim Keller, and his team to move to Miami and plant a church and give birth to a movement of the gospel, and during that season, while we were making a decision whether we should come to Miami or not, we heard many people say many things about our decision. It's amazing how people start to weigh in and to the decisions that you're making in life. And while some of them were very encouraging, people said, hey, I think really God is opening the door for you guys. There's a future there. We will be praying for you. We're committed to you. We had people make cast out judgments and saying, hey, uh, I think you guys are going after the American dream. I said, what are you talking about? My wife's from North Carolina. She was born and raised in the American dream. And I was raised in Atlanta too, so I lived under the American dream. And we moved from the U.S. We would have just stayed five years ago if that's what we were after. We're not, we're not after the American dream. We didn't come here for the American dream. We didn't come here like people said, oh, you're, you're, you're going for a better job. Because we had a church in Brazil that we had started. We we're five years into it. And we did not come for a better church or a better job because there was no church. <laughs> it was a church to plant. And uh, there were a lot of things weighing against us uh, in terms of planting and starting that new church that is now called Crossbridge. I'll tell you this. What really motivated us to move to Miami was the opportunity that Miami offered for the gospel. I remember going around and uh, meeting with local church pastors that had been here, here in Miami 10 years or more. And we were trying to discern by asking them what had been their experience in those last 10 years. And uh, it was deeply discouraging and disturbing to us to hear from all of those pastors, hey, we're really tired. Our churches, not one said something different. Uh, our churches are at least half of the size that they used to be 10 years ago. Miami is becoming more and more unchurched. I'm looking for opportunities to leave. I heard, I heard a lot of that. And we looked into the data as well. So I, I, uh, I hired a, um, a demographics company and so, because I really want to understand the culture. And uh, I, I looked at the declining church attendance trend in Miami. It was deeply discouraged by anyone going to a place seeking to open 
whatever industry you're a part of, in our case, was to start a church, a new market, right? There, there's, it was not favorable. There were no favorable conditions for planting a church. But God began to instill in us the opportunity for the gospel. And uh, to us, it became more like, hey, what if I took you to a virgin mission field to start a work there? And I, and I began to remember conversations that I had with some of my missionary friends that God had called to plant the gospel in tribes in Africa or indigenous tribes in the middle of the Amazon where people had no idea, no concept of Christianity or the God of the Bible whatsoever. And I began to see that that's probably very close to that sort of reality except transported into an urban context. And I began to see, number two, uh, the opportunity that this city had for the gospel in terms of strategy as well. Not just an opportunity uh, as a virgin mission field for the gospel, but also uh, an opportunity uh, because of its strategic cultural location. Uh, as many of you know, Miami is the uh, center for Latin America, if you haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> You've been here over 60 years or you haven't been out in the city at all. Um, but Miami has become in the last five or six decades whatever, like this, uh, an amazing, diverse uh, city. It's the most, one of the most diverse uh, cities in the country. Over 60% of its population is foreign born. And uh, I, I began to uh, dream about the impact that a gospel-centered church that was faithful to the gospel, that was ministering to the needs of the city, could look like. You know, my mentor, Tim Keller, told me many times where the city goes, so goes the country. Where the city goes, so goes the culture. Where the city goes, so goes the future of the younger generations. And I believe, and I still believe to this day, that we can have an impact on the future of America. Many of the big cities in America are becoming more and more like Miami. Uh, the Anglo-white population is decreasing, and they're becoming more and more foreign-born. More immigrants are moving into cities. And this city is only increasing its influence in in Latin America. And it was because of that motivation, that original motivation that we had, that our original core group leaders, we said that if, if we're gonna start a church here in Miami, this church has to be a city positive church. This has to be a, a church for the city of Miami, for the people of Miami, for those who are in need of, of, of spiritual renewal, for those who are in need of social renewal. For those who are in need of cultural renewal, for a city that needs cultural renewal, for a city that is ripe for the gospel so that it can bear its impact in the future. I remember in our conversations in our core team, uh, the people of our core team saying things like, hey, we don't want to build a great church. What? Yeah, we want to help build a great city. And it's great that if, if, if at the end of the day we have a great church, but we want Miami to look a little bit more like God's vision for Miami than it does today. So that was our vision. And through the years, we have stuck to this vision, the, the last 15 years, and it hasn't been easy. I'm just let, letting you know here, it's, it hasn't been easy. Uh, you know, uh, things change. It's a transient city. There's a lot of obstacles that have come our ways. And there has been two biblical passages that have been a key to me, as I've navigated with Beth and the leaders of Crossridge through the many different seasons that we've been through. 
These passages have served as light in, in moments of darkness. These passages have served as fuel when things have slowed down. They have reoriented my vision and clarified God's purpose when things are blurry. And I'm going to read one passage right now. It's from the New Testament, and then I'm going to, in the middle of the sermon, read an Old Testament passage. And I want to share this with you because if we're going to be Crossbridge together, we're going to be on mission together as well. So the first passage is found in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. We're going to read verses 8 through 10. This is what the author of Hebrews writes. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. And by faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac, who was his son, and Jacob, who was his grandson, right? Heirs with him of the same promise. Now, now, now he, here's a key verse. Why did he do all that? Why did he obey? Why was he living in tents through the season of his life? For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Why has this passage been inspirational to me? Because this passage reveals to us God's vision for the world. You want to know God's vision for the world? This passage reveals God's vision for the world. That includes salvation in Jesus. But it reveals God's big vision for the world, planet Earth. This passage also reminds us of the role we play into that vision of God. Because if we are the people of God, we are to participate in the vision of God. We're not to go out and about and construct our own vision that is completely disassociated from the vision of God. So what is our role? That's the second thing I think that this passage helps us to understand. And, and then this passage lastly shows us what it takes from us. We'll get there. But first, it gives us God's vision for the world. What is God's vision for the world? Verse 10, which is the last verse that I read, is, is very clear that God is architecting and he is building a city. What's God's vision? A city. God's vision for the world is a city. When God first spoke to Abraham, chapters 12 through 17 of Genesis, you can go back there and read, uh, Abraham was already 40 years in age, and so was his wife, and they wanted to have children, and they had no children. And God said to Abraham and his wife, through the descendant that I will give you, I will make a great nation. Uh, cities are places where people agglomerate, and where they live, and they share life, and they share expertise that allows the flourishment of the whole to happen and to take place. God's vision given to Abraham was of that city. It was a vision that he shared originally with Adam and Eve. When he said to Adam and Eve, after creating them and placing them in the garden, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. God meant is I want you to use of the basic knowledge of economics, of architecture, of education, whatever, and build a God-honoring city, a God-honoring society for me. And we know that in the Bible, Adam and Eve failed in that mission but that then Jesus comes to fulfill that which Adam and Eve failed to do, that mission that they failed to do. And therefore, when you read the Bible, this is the narrative of the Bible, right? The first book of the Bible is the book of Genesis. What's the last book of the Bible? 
Revelation. Genesis to Revelation. Genesis is the book of origins of a creation, how God created all things. And Revelation gives us the final chapter of history. The Bible starts in a garden that God plants, but it ends in a city that comes down from heaven. And Revelation 21, which is the next to the last chapter of the Bible, uh, we read this right there in verse 2. Revelation 21, verse 2, this is what it says. And I saw, this is a vision that John received, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, filling the earth. We don't read, we saw God's farm coming down from heaven. We don't see, we saw God's suburb coming down from heaven. We saw the new Jerusalem, the new city of God, coming from heaven and filling the earth. Jesus accomplishes God's mission. And that is where history is heading, and that's what we are seeing today, okay? That's what we are seeing. In one more decade, 83% of the world's population will be living in cities. That's where history is heading. And I know that the pandemic set things kind of like back a little bit, and a lot of people, because they were afraid of being contaminated in the cities, they moved to the countrysides and they populated the countrysides. But the movement towards the city continues the world is becoming more and more urban. It's walking and it's toward, actually it's running towards that future that God has designed. And I, and I think that we need to pause and, and try to think about this intelligently because if this is God's vision for the world and we say that we are followers of Jesus, how can we say that this is not my vision and my mission as well? If this is what Jesus is accomplishing and what he will finally accomplish, a God-honoring city, why would that not be our goal as well? Why would we join Adam and Eve in the garden? Which for them, it was like, I know God, that's your goal, but we're going to go in a parallel enterprise here. We're going to build our own city and our own future apart from you. If we're followers of Jesus... This has got to be our vision as well. And I think this is very important for us to be reminded. And I try to remind you every Sunday uh, of the gospel and every year about this vision because uh, in the last several decades, a lot of the Christians, churches that we have seen, they have moved away from the cities because cities are dangerous places, because cities are places of temptation. They're disruptive for people that are trying to grow spiritually, and they've hibernated elsewhere outside of the cities. But we see in the Bible is God is always calling Christians back to the cities. In fact, the first Christians, the first followers of Jesus, when you uh, read the book of Acts of the Apostles, after Jesus ascends to heaven and commands them to take the gospel, which is the great commission now to all the nations, they almost ignore the countryside and they go to the major Greco-Roman cities of the world of their days. Paul doesn't go to the small cities, he goes to the big cities. Paul doesn't go to the cities that have no in cultural influence, he goes to the cities with deep cultural influence, and so does Peter and the other disciples. And because Christianity goes to the cities in its early years, in 300 years, the countryside went pagan while the cities went Christian. Christianity took over the Roman Empire. Not through power, but by living out the gospel. And so here at Crossbridge, every year we have to be reminded of that and re-up our commitment as a church for the city 
because we understand that this is part of God's overarching vision. And that obviously leads us to the question, well, then what is my role? And you're sitting here today, maybe it's your first time here, and I just want to get you used to what we're about here at Crossbridge Church. If you've been here for a few weeks, I just want you to get you used to what we're about here. And 10 years from now, you're still going to hear the same thing, okay, because our mission has not changed. But I do want you to understand what your role is here. What is your role? What role do we play Go back to verse 10 again, okay? Because verse 10 tells us how Abraham participated in that vision that God shared with him. We read verse 10, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder was God. You know, we, we know the story of Abraham that he lived between promise and fulfillment. God had promised him a future. Uh, the fulfillment of that future seemed, seemed very far away from him at different seasons of his life. He's living in tents now. He had left his father's household where he had all the comfort in the world, where he had titles and recognitions and respect, and now he's living in tents with his children and his grandchildren. Now think about that, living in tents like Bedouins. And, there's, and, and, you know, and, and even before that, for years and decades, they were waiting for that child that God promised to them that through that child, he would build this great nation and there was no child. It was t seasons of hardships after seasons of hardships. And he faltered here and there, but he kept on going, even though the text tells us that he did not know where he was going. He did not know where God was really leading and taking him, but he was obeying and he was faithful. Why? Because he looked forward to the city that God had promised him. He looked forward to the future that God was calling him to build and to participate in. And he believed in that and that kept him going. You know what has kept me going through the years is to never lose sight of the mission that God has initially given us here. I believe with all my heart in the potential that Miami has. I haven't Stop believing in Miami when all these uh, northerners and Californians move to Miami when a pandemic has happened. I, I love that they are here because God is bringing them here to participate in this mission with us as well. He's always recycling. He's always renewing. And every time that changes happen and take place makes us uncomfortable, it reminds me of the vision that God has for the city and for its future. And I haven't given up on that, and you dare not give up on that either. But what does it mean? What does it mean to look forward? What does it mean to look forward? See, the, the, this idea of looking forward is the idea of hope where Christianity finds its foundation. Our faith is a faith of hope that we're always looking towards the future. But what does it mean to hope? Uh, you know, to, to hope uh, is not to exercise waiting while doing nothing, as a Middle Eastern theologian recently said. It's, it's, it's not just to wait and, and sit on your hands and believe that God is the one who's accomplishing this and I have no responsibility to play in it. That's what, not, that's what Christian hope is not about. And, and, and this is where I'm going to bring you the, the, the other passage as well because hope in, involves response. You know, Abraham had to leave. Abraham had to obey God. He didn't know. I have no idea where we will be 10 years from now, but I have hope in that. 
And that moves me to action in the present. So Christian hope is not passive, it's always active. As I hope in God, I demonstrate that hope by acting upon that future that God is promising to us. If I sit on my hands, that tells me that I have no hope. See, passivity is absence of hope. Proactivity is a sign of presence, of hope. And so do we hope? Are we a people that hopes? Well, are we moving? Here's the other passage that I want to share with you. It's a passage found in Jeremiah 29. and It's a passage in the Old Testament. And I, I need to explain to you a little bit about the context of this passage. In this passage, you find the people of God in the outskirts of the city of Babylon. Now, they, they didn't go to Babylon, which, by the way, was the New York City of their days. It was the ultimate cultural center of the world back in those days. They, they did not go there because they created a caravan uh, with the objective of pursuing the Babylonian dream. They, they did not go there because they wanted to. They were taken there. Bab- Babylonia had come into Jerusalem, had destroyed their city, and had taken them captives. And they placed them at the banks of the river Euphrates outside of the walls of the city. And here they are in a city that they did not want to be in, whose king had destroyed their temple and their hometown, and they're having a real hard time assimilating into that culture. See, the Babylonians were kind of nicer than other conquering nations. They gave you the opportunity to assimilate and live among them. And so here were, they, here were the people of God with that tension. Should, should we participate in what they're asking us to do, obviously to work for them? Or should we resist? Should, should we form a resistance here and should we rebel against them? And in fact, during that context, there were some prophets amongst them that came up and says, yes, that's exactly what God is telling you, to resist, to resist this evil culture of Babylon. God is calling you to fight against it, to rebel against it. And then here comes Jeremiah, the prophet of God, the the man who who God had selected to speak on his behalf to his people while they were in that tension. And Jeremiah brings shocking words to the people. These are words of God. He says, here's what God is telling you. I know what you've heard, but this is what God is telling you. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters into marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. And it gets worse. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. The Babylonians didn't bring you here. I brought you here. And I want you to seek their welfare. And I want you to pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, in the welfare of Babylon, you will find your welfare too. This is what God means. First of all, let's apply this practically to us. Maybe you were not born in Miami. Maybe you're not from Miami, but you're here. And I don't know how you got into Crossbridge. Somebody invited you. You heard a sermon online. I don't know what happened. I know some of your stories. I know all your stories. But no one else besides God brought you here. 
The reason why you're here is because God brought you here. I never called you. God called you. God used people, maybe your spouse or a friend, to bring you here. But he was the one ultimately that brought you here. He brought you to Miami. He brought you to Crossbridge. And I know that there are mixed feelings about Miami. (laughs) One of the hardest parts about living here, if you've been here like ourselves for about 15 years, we had to say a lot of goodbyes to people, like people that we love and build relationships. The transiency of the city is insane. And we thought maybe uh, we should at some point leave too so that others could say goodbye because we've said a lot already. It's not easy. It's, it's hard. And, and some of you are here, and this is not even your culture. Like, you, you know, you're, you don't come from a Latin background. Like, you, this is not your culture. And, and yet you are here. Or you are here temporarily. Maybe you were relocated here. Maybe you're here to study. And the natural posture that I always find in people that are here for a period of time is this, oh, I'm only going to stay here for two, three years. I'm not going to get involved in anything. I'm not going to make any friends because I'm not staying here. I'm not buying anything here. I'm not, I'm not staying here. And you're living for a future that you don't even know that it exists. While you're missing all the blessings and opportunities of the now that God wants to share with you. I remember a couple that... Uh, their company, a big company, transferred them, I think from Mexico City to Miami. And uh, within a week here, they, they knew they were going to be here temporarily. In fact, they only stayed for seven months. But within a week, they had already started a, a small group in their house. And I said, how long are you going to stay here? I don't know, but we're full in wherever God has us in. <laughs> and to this day, they have deep friendships with the people here and people came to faith through their community group. Their future and eternity has been permanently changed because they decided to live in the now. God is always calling us to live in the now. You know the problem of our culture is we don't live in the now. When you go home, some of you are in your phones. You don't pay attention to people. You're never listening to conversations. You can't really experience God if you don't fully live in the now. And God is saying, hey, while you're here, I brought you here. They didn't know how long they were going to stay in Babylon. You don't know how long you're going to stay here. But while you're here, be fully in. That's what I'm calling you to do. I want you to plant roots in this city. And so I used to say this, and I continue to say this. If you're here in your mind for two years, consider staying five. If you're here for five, consider staying ten. If uh, you're here for 10, consider buying a grave, uh, a gravestone over cemetery next door, dying here in the city, together with the rest of us. Because God has brought you here with a purpose, and he wants you to break away from not being able to fully experience his work in your life in the now. God wants you to be productive. That's the second thing that he says to them, Right? He says, plant gardens and eat their produce. Okay? Drink cafecitos. Like, eat croquetas. Go to Robert is here. 
But it's more than that. He's saying be productive while you're here. Be productive. Allow God to work through your work industry to bless people. A lot of people move into the city to take, not to give back. See yourself as a missionary that God is using, whether you're a lawyer or a doctor or an athlete or a med student or uh, a banker. Use the space that God has inserted you in through the craft that he has given you in the vocation that you've been called to exercise to be a missionary for his sake, to bring about good for the community in which you are serving through your craft. Don't take advantage of the community. Give back through that which God has resourced you with. Be productive. Become part of it. And um, for those of us who are frustrated or constantly frustrated by the city, by the culture, by the traffic, by the cost, God is saying, pray for it. Because you cannot stay angry or frustrated with anyone that you've committed to pray for. And in the moments of complete frustration, whether your landlord says, hey, uh, in the next um, lease, I'm going to increase $2,000, your rent. (laughs) Or you're stuck in traffic for an hour and a half just trying to get 10 miles from, from one place to another in 10 miles, right? Or when you uh, try to get a service done in your house, you can't understand uh, the language of the people that come to do the work. And you don't know how to explain. There's like a, a problem there. Pray. Pray for the city. Pray for its good. Pray for its deficiencies. Pray for your frustrations and your hardships here. Pray for the city and ultimately seek, that's what the text says, seek its welfare. And that's what we have been committed to through the years. You watched in the video, that's an amazing reality in the life of the people of Crossbridge. Uh, I I don't want to toot our own horn, and and I don't want to sound arrogant either, okay? I've been here for 15 years. I don't know a church that's more about the city, that does more for the city in terms of helping to start churches and meet the needs of the disadvantage in the city than Crossbridge. I, I I just... I don't know. Maybe you know. And there's some good churches here too, like a lot of good churches that have good friends here. But like this, this is how we were started. This is, this is what's underneath it all. This is what's under the hood of this church. We are a church genuinely about the city. We have helped plant churches that you don't even know of, of other denominations, given money and helped train and resource it because we believe in this. We are committed to the spiritual renewal of the city. We want to see people being discipled in the gospel of how to be good neighbors to others here in Miami. We want to see social change here in our city. We want it to be a fair city. We want the needs of those who live in the margins to be met. That's, that's who we are as, as a church. We believe that if those things begin to happen, then cultural change be, will, will, will begin and start to take place. If that is a reality amongst ourselves. If that's how we commit to live as well. See, see think about this. Uh, abortion is a problem, right? There's a lot of Christians that are very loud about abortions. What's better, just to talk about it or to come alongside a pregnancy center and say, we're going to fund you to do your work. That, that's, that, that's the route that we have chosen as a church. Now, now I'm not saying that uh, there shouldn't be advocates for justice in the church, there should, but it has to always be coupled by practice. 
And that is the commitment that we have made as a church is to meet the real needs of people here in our city for the sake of the gospel. And you know what this takes? It's the last thing I want to say to you here today. What this takes is faith. How does a passage start in verse 8? By faith, Abraham obeyed. Verse 9, by faith he went. By faith he obeyed. By faith he went. What does it take? It takes extraordinary faith. You know, C.S. Lewis had this uh, uh, very famous saying that he says that the, the Christians who did more for this world were precisely those who thought most of the next. Without faith, we cannot please God, the Bible says. It takes immense faith to obey and to step into this mission. It's not an easy mission. I know, I acknowledge, I recognize. But, but, it's faith that allows us to take risks. See, Abraham took a big risk in leaving the comforts of his uh, estate and leaving his family behind, living in tents. He took a huge risk. He did not even know where he was. He had no map, no GPS, no nothing. And, and yet, he still took that risk because he believed he has faith. He had faith. The seed that Abraham has left is not a, a blood descendant's seed, but it's, Paul says, faith because Abraham believed and that was credit to him as righteousness. It takes faith to take risks. Like we had to take risks in coming to Miami and it took faith. Now, maybe I shared with you this story before. I, as we were discerning, Beth and I, we were uh, talking about, hey, what, what if this doesn't work out? And we talked to mentors, and said, there's, there's a huge possibility that this is not going to work out. There were people that were really close to me that said, it's not going to work out. You're going to fail, and you're going to come back. You're not going to be able to get back to the stuff that you had started to begin with, right? And one night, we were having dinner, and she said, Let, let's go back to that question. I said, what question? Like, the question that goes like this, what if we fail? And I said, okay, what about it? She says, are you okay if we move there and we end up failing? And I said, I, I think I am. And she says, if God is glorified through our failure, then it's worth it. So we did it. The people of Emmanuel took a lot of risks in taking us in. <laughs> Dr. Kling, it was a huge risk. And many of you have taken risks through the years to follow leadership, to follow a vision that you don't necessarily uh, have full clarity on. And, and I appreciate all of you who have come along. And I, I know it's because your citizenship ultimately is rooted in heaven. Your, your faith has shaped your identity as a Christian as well. And here's what you know and here's what I know. You know where your joy rests. It's very similar to the word that Jesus gave the 72 when they returned after receiving the mission to preach the gospel, to cast out demons and heal the sick. When they come back, Jesus says, what happened? How did you feel about it? And they're like, oh, it was amazing. The demons are submitting to us. We're healing the sick. And Jesus stops and he says, rejoice not that the demons submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven, that you're citizens of heaven. When you're a citizen of heaven, regardless of where you live, it's okay and it's all right. I've heard through the years people saying, oh, you know, I just don't really dig Miami that much. I'm more of like a, a small town uh, Midwest person. 
I said, no, if you are a Christian, you're not a small town Midwest person. You're a citizen of heaven. (laughs) And wherever you are, you take on that citizenship regardless and you live based on the values of your new citizenship and and not on your current because your joy really rests in that. You know where your treasure also uh, is truly kept and stored. Jesus says that our hearts are the place where our treasure truly rests. And when your identity has been reshaped by the gospel, so has your treasure. And you know that the most valuable thing because of that is to invest an impact that will not render results in decades, but, but into eternity. Every year we come and we say, hey, listen, let's continue to invest because what we are seeing here has an impact into eternity, has an impact into eternity. Billions of years from now, I'm imagining, I don't know when, but maybe billions of years from now, we'll all be around the throne of grace. And some of those people that were helped and assisted by you will say, hey, thank you so much for clothing me when I was naked. Thank you so much for feeding me when I was hungry. Jesus says that these conversations will really, really, really happen one day. And people will say to you, thank you that in the darkest moment of my life, you shared the good news of the gospel and we get to share eternity together from now into eternity. Because of faith, you know, you know as a matter of fact where your future is headed. And I know it's cringy and cliche, but it's true. If you are a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you have embraced his mission, you know that the best is always yet to come. Will you pray with me? Father, we hope in this better future that you have for our city, for our world. Father, I I know it's hard for us sometimes to keep the focus on it and uh, we falter. We're tired, we quit. It's hard. It's costly to live in cities and uh, it's costly, uh, Father, to live the gospel in cities specifically. And we recognize that, but we, we thank you for the privilege of, you, of why you have brought us here to Miami. We continue to pray that through our small community of faith here that you continue to bear great impact in this city and beyond. We're grateful for the stories that we have heard through the years We're grateful for the stories that we are hearing now of how you have used this church. And I pray that you would continue to do that. And Father, as we step into the season, may we also reevaluate, pray, and and ask you, how, how, how much more do you want us to be used? What else do you require of us? Father, show us whether we have been erring on our own comfort and our security because we know that, uh, without risk-taking, without faith. Not only can we not please you, but we can't see anything change. It's all a byproduct of faith. And so, Father, give us great faith in Jesus and allow us to follow him in the mission that he is accomplishing and will accomplish one day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.